beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7 say this. Have this attitude in yourselves. In other words, be like-minded, like Christ. The attitude that was also in Christ Jesus, an attitude of humility, Philippians 2.6, who, although he is the exact same in essence as God the Father, 100% deity, did not regard his equality with God the Father as a thing to be seized and held on to. Philippians 2.7, instead the Lord emptied himself, the Greek word kinoo, depriving himself of the rightful functions of deity for a specific period of time, and taking on the essence of a bondservant as 100% true humanity, and having been made in the likeness of men. That's the God that we have. We have the Lord, God the Son, who took on human form as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, And even though he is God, the Lord Jesus Christ was more than willing to set aside self-will in favor of obeying the will of God the Father to become the Savior of the whole world. Something he was willing to do that we're not willing to do because we're not willing to set aside self-will for God's will most of the time. He is definitely God with the exact same nature as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And when you talk to religious people who claim to uh, be Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, that's the one thing, that's the smoking gun. It'll always be that Jesus Christ is not one God and three separate and distinct persons. Jesus Christ does not have the same essence as his Father. Jesus Christ is lesser than the Father, and then the Holy Spirit is lesser than that. Or Jesus Christ didn't finish the work of salvation at the cross. Or Jesus Christ didn't pay for all the sins at the cross. All this crap that is just phony and lying about God. He is 100% God, and your attitude toward him as a human being seals your eternal fate. And you have two choices. Accept what he did for you at the cross, or reject what he did for you at the cross. You accept it, you're in heaven when you close your eyes in this life, you reject it, you're in the lake of fire, and it's your fault. That's it. It's so simple 
But religion wants to make it more common, more complicated than that. It's not more complicated than that. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of both unbelievers and believers. We give unbelievers the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. And when you give most people the gospel message, what do they say when they hear it? Well, I agree or I disagree, as if your agree or disagree really matters. The gospel message is the gospel message. You get to accept it or reject it. But what your opinion is about it does not matter. All that matters is God's opinion about it, and God's opinion about it is when you accept my son, God the Father's opinion is when you accept the salvation offer of my son, you are saved. And that's that, once and for all time. So what we do is we give that gospel message to unbelievers. What we also do is we teach believers in Christ the Word of God, the Bible, the inerrant canon of Scripture, the, the book that has no contradictions, no mistakes. It's absolutely perfect, and it's the exact thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that those who study the Word of God can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. John chapter 20, verse 31, gives a clear reason why ministries like ours occur, to edify. John twenty thirty one says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe. That's a word that is over and over and over and over again in the uh, Gospel of John. These things have been written in the Bible so that you may believe the truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. Now, why bother studying the word of God? Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says this, Every word of God communicated through the Bible proves itself to be true. The Lord is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We study the word of God because the Lord reveals himself through his infallible word. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. He does not work in mysterious ways. There is nothing mysterious about him. He is absolutely perfect and absolutely crystal clear and absolutely the, the word of the day, transparent. You know, that's what everybody's I, I, I just really like him because he's really transparent. Whatever. God is amazing. We get to know him only by studying the Bible And through what we learn in the Bible, we're able to experience a personal relationship with the Lord. And experiencing a personal relationship with the Lord is not a walk in the park. It's not for sissies. It's for people who have a backbone. And as you study the Word of God with us, we implore you to always compare what you learn about God, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says this, The Berean believers were more noble-minded than those believers in Thessalonica. For the Berean believers received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether the things the Apostle Paul was teaching 
were true. And if you don't inspect your teachers, you deserve whatever you get at the other end of that. Now, God's enemy is Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He's a deceiver who hates everyone in the world, including you and me. And he is world famous for using Christians to do his work. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from ruling the planet Earth at a future time. And that is during the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus Christ will come back a second time, will wipe, off, wipe out all the unbelievers on the Earth, and will in- initiate a period of 1,000 years of perfect environment with perfect rulership. And we are comforted as believers in Christ, because as 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 makes clear, we believers in Christ know that we are possessions of God the Father, even though we also know that the whole world lies in the power of Satan, the evil one. And what you ought to always be doing as believers in Christ is inspecting how you have let his insidious schemes dictate your thought process how you've let him creep into your life and form your life for you so that you have some mixture of Christianity and the world. Because that lifestyle is pathetic. Perfection doesn't need any additions, and it certainly doesn't need any subtractions. Satan is a creature. He is not a symbol of evil. He is not a concept. He isn't a cartoon character with a red epidermis and a pitchfork. He he does exist, even though it is his preference for you to think that he does not exist. And he is perpetrating that scheme perfectly, and especially among Christians, because most Christians don't believe that Satan exists and that he is a very real person who is interfering with their ability to enjoy the victory they have through the Lord. The spiritual life is warfare, and your soul is a battleground. And I I have heard people this very week say stuff like, well, I don't want to look at the spiritual life as being a battleground. Okay, then don't. Walk into the battleground with your guard down and get your face punched in. Don't look at it how it is. Look at it as how you want it to be. Yeah, the the spiritual life is just like your telephone. You can just manage the preferences. Yeah, it's not really like that. The spiritual life is a battleground, and you're the target. Your soul is the target. And as believers in Christ, we're not fighting for the victory in this warfare. We are operating from victorious ground. The Lord Jesus Christ won the strategic battle at the cross. And every time we see a cross, we ought to smile a little bit because the Lord won everything there. Those of us who are in union with Christ have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Believers, submit yourself to God by obeying him. Resist the devil by standing fast on your victorious ground against him, and he will flee from you. And so Satan is completely powerless against our God. Well, tonight's Bible lesson, prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. Prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. So this is, the, this is a slight modification of the lesson that we taught at Coraline. 
And it, you know, I think maybe three years ago, I got the bright idea that it wasn't such a good idea to teach something up at Coeur d'Alene and then come here and teach a new lesson the next night because it's hard. So who needs hard when you got travel mixed all in with it? So, uh, yeah, so I decided to just be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be comfortable like my congregation is comfortable. We're so comfortable. So anyway, this is a, a real good chance for those of you who weren't able to get to the conference to hear exactly what went on at the con- conference. So what role does prayer play in your life? Well, Christianity is a relationship with the Lord Jesus the Christ. You would never dream of having a human relationship that was absent of communication. You would never be foolish enough to think that you could develop and maintain a connection with someone without interacting with them. Yet it is routine for Christians to be saved, but to never have any interaction with the Lord after that. Not through the study of the Word and not through prayer. Well, in tonight's lesson, we'll investigate the power of prayer and what it can add to your life. So let's start with some music. Prayer is a transformative experience. It takes you from where you are to a totally new and different place, a new and different mental place, because prayer is powered by our Almighty God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 say this, This is the confidence which we believers in Christ have before Jesus that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. One of the great points that Monica Miller made in the Ask the Pastor session on Saturday is that a lot of us, when we pray, are asking God to coerce other people's will. Can't be done. Can't be done. So if you're asking something according to God's will, it's not going to be God coerce that person to do what I want. You're not God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and of course we do know that because he inclines his ear to us, we know that we already have the requests which we have asked from him. Well, here's June Murphy to sing about prayer in her song, We Pray to the Father. from above. 
fruitful in everything. No matter what it looks like or how we feel, trusting that our Father knows what's best for us, and in His timing, the answers. grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god thank you for providing this message for the benefit of everyone you have assembled to hear your message today whether in person or online thank you for giving us your son our lord to save us from our sins with the payment of his blood thank you for giving us the word of god so that we know your son's mind and so that we can have an intimate relationship with him through the study of the word. And thank you for the power of prayer, which allows us to communicate with you and to use your supernatural powers to solve our human problems. Open closed hearts to the truth. Help us to discard the garbage that has been placed in our souls by your enemy, Satan, to make us indifferent or antagonistic to you. Open blind eyes to see all the places in our lives where self-will is replacing your will for our lives. Remind us to value the relationships we have because you provide everyone for our benefit. Keep on working all things together for our good so that we can see you and reflect you to everyone we meet. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Tonight's Bible lesson, prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. Prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. Christians are charged with doing what is suggested by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says this, we are destroying speculations. That's believers in Christ. We are destroying speculations 
and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. What are the things that are raised up by the world against the knowledge of God? Things like worldly philosophy, things like personal influence. I'm the triclinium believer and you're the atrium believer. I'm up here and you're down here. I'm doing all this for God and you're doing nothing for God. All that crap. Impressive credentials. Oh, look at who I am. I've got all these letters behind my name. M-A, P-H-D, D-D-S, J-D, so what? Because you're still going to be dead. You're still going to be dead one day. And those letters will look real good on your tombstone, but they don't mean jack in the spiritual realm. Nothing. Legalism. Oh, I follow the rules. You don't. Asceticism. Look at how I'm denying myself. This is all the crap that Satan's, uh, Satan sells. Mysticism. Oh, I'm a Leo. I'm a Virgo. I'm an Aries. Oh my goodness, the stars influence us. I better get to the newspaper every day religiously and find out what Sidney Omar and Linda Goodman have to say today. But I'm not going to go to the Bible and hear what the Lord has to say. And he's the one who actually is running the universe. Neither one of those two people are. They're probably both dead. Those are old uh, mysticism folks. And the do-it-yourself lifestyle, which is where we craft a lifestyle that we think is so wonderful, but nobody can stand us. You know, nobody wants to be around us. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with us. And we think that we've crafted this amazing lifestyle. We haven't. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You don't want to do that, though, because if you started doing that, your life would be easy. It's much better to get up every day and have 50 things pulling at you and jerking you in every single direction. It's much better. It's much better to walk around in life being unhappy. It's much better to walk around in life wondering, you know, who you are and what your purpose in life is and what your spiritual gift is. Just be confused about it. Because that's what Satan wants you to do. Because that neutralizes everything that God brought you here to do. So you just take your time figuring that all out. You know, we don't have to, here at Barah Ministries, we don't have to listen to God. You know, it's just, let's leave these seats empty. Let's have this great message that's going out. Hit empty seats. We don't have to do what God says. We don't have to go and make disciples of all the nations. We don't have to go. Let's just sit here in our nice little phony-ass community pretending that we're unified and keep those seats empty so that people don't hear this amazing message that the Holy Spirit puts together every week. That's what we should do. Just be comfortable. Let's just relax. Let's just calm down and think it through. And every time it's time to do something new, let's resist it. That's what we need to do. That's fantastic. That's exactly what God wants us to do, to have a counterfeit lifestyle, a do-it-yourself lifestyle. That's what I'm talking about. And look, nothing I'm saying to you is, is surprising to you because it, you'll just hate me for saying it. But there's nothing that I'm telling you that's surprising to you because every time you look at yourself in the mirror, you have a, a moment of reckoning and you have to ask, who is that in there? Is that person genuine or not? 
And I'm real comfortable when I look in the mirror. I'm real comfortable with who that person is because I'm not lying to myself about who that person is. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm not. I know what I'm capable of, and I know when I'm way short of it. And for years, I've been way short of what I'm capable of. And you, you just do that until you get tired of it. Well, I'm tired of it. But here's one of the things that I don't do as a pastor. I don't coerce your volition. I don't stand in the pulpit and try to get you to be different than you are because you're on your own journey. And I feel like my journey is significantly hard without taking on your journey. I'm real good at that in the spiritual realm. Not so good at that. You know, I got a son that can attest to the fact that I'm not all that good at that in the human realm. Got a couple of sons that would tell you that. And a couple ex-wives that would tell you that too. Not real good at that in the human realm, but in the spiritual life, I'm real good at letting people alone and letting you do what you do. But don't think I don't notice. Don't think I don't notice when you put yourself above everybody else because of something you do. Don't think I don't, I, I don't notice when you resist something you ought not have been resisting. Don't think I don't notice when you don't help other people. Don't think I'm stupid because I'm not. Don't think I, I don't notice it when you just take me for granted and you think you know everything about me because you've been in my life for a while. Maybe you didn't notice the subtle changes that were happening inside of me. Don't think I don't notice that you take me for granted. That you think that, you know, that, that it's, it's nothing special being around a person who is a pastor but also real with you. Don't think I don't notice when you treat me like that. It's okay with me, by the way. I understand. Because you've sold out who you really are to world philosophy, personal influence, impressive credentials, legalism, asceticism, mysticism, and the do-it-yourself lifestyle. You're being less than you can become. And I understand that we're all on that. We all go through that part of the journey. I can't be critical of anybody. I spent 50 years, 21 in Catholicism, and 29 in systematic theology. Who am I going to stand up here and criticize? I can't criticize you. I got to look at myself in the mirror. But don't think I don't notice when I'm around you exactly how you're playing the game, too. Way less than you're capable of. Way less than is meaningful. Don't think I don't notice. Now, as Christians, we're saved because we've chosen a relationship with Christ as our way to be saved. Placing our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ at the cross to save us. And as he moves us from being spiritually dead unbelievers to spiritually alive believers, we're given a gift that staggers the imagination. Now that we're Christians, we're being sanctified by God the Holy Spirit. So there's a little divine relay race. The divine relay race, the first leg of the divine relay race, the Lord Jesus Christ is running that. And then once we become saved, he hands off the baton to God the Holy Spirit, the silent hero of the Trinity. And God the Holy Spirit is now working to sanctify you and to conform you to the image of the Son so that you are worthy, walking in a manner worthy of the perfection that he gave to you at the moment of salvation. Sanctification. So as we are 
in the sanctification process, set apart for a series of privileges that are mind-boggling, that I tell you about every week, and then you look at me and you yawn, ho-hum, and then you go back into your boring lifestyle, running around like a chicken with their head cut off in the little maze of the world. 168 hours a week, you give two of those hours to God, and the rest to the world, and you sleep 56 of it, so 110 of your hours are given to the world. And you think that doesn't conform you? That conforms you. That doesn't transform you. By the renewing of your mind, we ain't transformed. We're conformed. We have to fight to be transformed. You don't get transformed just because you're sitting there. You get transformed because you're taking in the word of God and you're actually letting it change you. And when it changes you, it incites you to a series of actions that are for the benefit of others while simultaneously being uh, reflecting worship of God. That's what really happens. So that when you're sitting down in a conversation with somebody and they start talking all this religious stuff, you aren't a mute. You know, they say, well, I, I just think Roman Catholicism is just amazing, and it, it is the thing that has shaped me. Yeah, well, that's too bad you were shaped by a very imperfect tool. It's too bad that the Jesus Christ that you worship is not the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. He's another Jesus, and it's too bad that you haven't had your head in the Bible long enough to know that. So you've been wasting your time worshiping a God that does not exist. It's no different than worshiping Allah. He doesn't exist. It's no, no different thinking Muhammad and Jesus Christ are on the same level. That's a joke. But we don't have the courage to say that to anybody because we don't want to offend anybody. Everything that is the truth is offensive. It's offensive. And I don't mind offending anybody with that truth. Because Jesus Christ is God, and his word, the Bible, is his thoughts. And those thoughts were given to us as a gift to conform us, to transform us into people that are an exact reflection of him, who are kind enough to say, Woe to you, Roman Catholics, whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, beautiful buildings on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Not brave enough to say it. Like all of a sudden we're going to fall down in an epileptic fit and start writhing around because we told somebody the truth. So, with this mind-boggling set of privileges that we're given in the sanctification realm, one of those is prayer, a way for us to interact with God. What is prayer? Here's my weak definition of it. It's deliberate interaction with God, whether formal or informal, whether audible or silent, whether public or private where we talk with God and where we listen to the messages God has for us, either through his word, because that's one way he talks to us, or through people. Oh, through people. Oh, my God, I don't want to interact with people because people hurt me. 
I only want to interact with God and the Bible, and I want every other word that comes out of my mouth to be about the Bible, but I don't want anything to do with people. How's that work? Because I don't think that's what that says. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I think the Bible says, get your face in there, and get out front where you make a good target. I think that's what it says. And I've been doing that for 22 years. There isn't one person in here who's been hurt on a deeper level or insulted on a deeper level in the Christian way of life than me. Not one of you. So you want to whine? Okay, I'll listen. And then right after I finish listening to you whine, I'm going to say, get your ass right back out front where you make a good target. That's where I am. And I got to put up with stuff that if I even explained it to you, would boggle your mind. You would not believe it. If I wrote it in a book, you wouldn't believe it. you say, he's lying. He's lying. No, I'm not. Being a Christian is serious business. I'm glad I am one. And I don't take it lightly. This is a privilege. And we represent somebody. How are we doing with that? Anybody here think they're meeting the standard? Prayer is not only a gift from God, but it's an underutilized weapon in the spiritual life because the things that aren't going well in our life, we can always bring prayer to it. And let me tell you this. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we see guys like David and, and the prayers he writes. We see all the Proverbs, and we see all the prophets, and we hear their prayers. They were on the wrong side of the cross. They were on the other side of the cross. What's prayer like on this side of the cross? We're on this side of the cross. If all those guys were gathered in a room watching our prayer circle, they'd be bawling. Because our prayer circle is on the other side of the cross. They knew there was something coming up. They didn't know exactly what it was, but they knew there was something coming up. And they wanted to be a part of it. They aren't a part of it. So we don't go back and borrow their prayers. We go forward and borrow Pauline prayers, which are on this side of the cross. We don't borrow the prayers from the Jews, unless we're Jewish. We're not Jewish. We use the prayers on this side of the cross because we're Gentiles. And half of the New Testament was written by a guy who was specifically the apostle to the Gentiles. You want to look at prayers? Go look at his prayers and, and see what you'll see in every one of his prayers. What does he pray for? God, please give these people some spiritual wisdom. Please. Please give them the knowledge. Please. To which Paul would say, well, that's why, the Lord would say to Paul, that's why I'm having you write this, man. I want them to have this. And our job as Christians is to bring people to that. Amazing thing. 
All right. So prayer is this powerful weapon that we have in the Christian way of life. And we can use it in our relationship with God. We can use it in our relationship with self. We can use it in our relationship with others. And it is specifically for this, to edify. It's to bring a power that you don't have, nor will you ever have, on your own. So that's what I taught about in Coeur d'Alene. Because God expects you to understand prayer and to use prayer. What's the vision of prayer? And a vision is what something looks like in perfect condition. What does prayer look like in perfect condition? Prayer looks like in perfect condition that Christians use prayer as a weapon in the creator-creature conflict. Human history exists to resolve a conflict between Jesus Christ and Satan. And we are in the middle of that, and we are the people who are going to take one side or the other. There's no middle ground. God wants us to take one side or the other, take his side or take the other side. It doesn't matter. We're all brought here on, on Satan's side. And you get to decide you want to stay on Satan's side or you want to wear the white uniform. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17 say this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in union with the Lord. Do you see that? He never asks us to be strong on our own. And if you want to look at the times in your life which are most effective, there are always the times when you think you can do something on your own. You think you are so special that you can handle stuff on your own and that you don't need anybody else. I don't think, I don't ever think of Barah Ministries as something that I can do on my own. Because if I did, I certainly wouldn't be coming here every week. Because my desk and the chair at my desk is much more comfortable than standing up here for two hours, believe me. And there's a lot less interaction involved, so I don't have to be hurt by anyone over in my office. Be strong, not on your own, because on your own I'd be doing this online all the time. Be strong in union with the Lord and use the strength of his might. Do namasvaya, two of my favorite Greek words, Ephesians 6, 11. Pick up and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Standing, of course, on victorious ground. Why would God tell us to pick up and put on armor if we weren't in a spiritual battle? <laughs> Ephesians six twelve. Our struggle, which infers that we have one, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. But human beings let themselves be used. Our struggle is against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What does that say? Satan is organized, and he has an organized, uh, an organization that is designed to attack Christians, to hurt them. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, Take up the full armor of God. Pick it up and put it on. Paul was in prison watching Roman guards do this all the time. Roman guards, one of the best armies ever. So that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. When's the evil day? Every day. And having done everything to stand firm. 
Ephesians 6.14. Stand firm, therefore, in case you didn't hear him, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Can't wait to teach Ephesians. That'll follow. We're going to do Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. Ephesians 6.16. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ephesians 6.17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the vision for prayer is that you use it in the creature-creator conflict of which you are a part. Spiritual warfare. Why did God give us prayer? Well, the objective of prayer, the specific, measurable, time-bound outcome of prayer is to receive supernatural supernatural help from the sovereign God of the universe to assist us in every step of the journey of our lives. You ought to pray when you have breakfast. You ought to pray when you go to the restroom. You ought to pray when you're walking down the street. You ought to pray when you're driving. He wants to help you in every single area of your life. Why would he want to do that? Because he knows you can't do it. He knows you're not strong. That's why he says, be strong in the strength of his might. Because your might, you don't have any. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 say this, And the Lord has said to me, Paul talking after he came back from the third heaven, The Lord has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. What did God do for Paul when he came back from the third heaven? He gave him a thorn in the flesh. He gave him a messenger of Satan to torment him so that he wouldn't exalt himself. And he said, Lord, take it away. And he told him three times. Well, the Lord hears your prayers before you say them, and then he hears them when you say them. So he, he asked the Lord six times. Lord holding his ears like, please, please, I've heard it already. And the Lord said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. You should get goosebumps when you hear that. But you don't. You don't get goosebumps because you say, yeah, divine power is something that I take down off the shelf every once in a while. But basically, I'm pretty good on my own. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I'll boast about my weaknesses so that the divine power of Christ, divine omnipotence, may dwell in me, may reflect from me. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the attitude I always have. You want to mess with me? Bring it. Bring it. Please, bring it. Because you can't touch what I have. What do I have? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have divine power when I am humanly weak. So hurt me, please. Because that's when I'm strong. God wants us to be content regardless of circumstances we're in. And we're so Satan in our viewpoint. Oh, well, everything's really good right now. I'm really happy. 
but we don't feel the exact same way when we're sad. We don't feel the exact same way when we're hurt. He wants us to be content regardless of the circumstance. Why? Because he has us firmly in his grip. And he knows, and he is always prepared to help us when we request it through prayer. John chapter 14, verse 14 says this, If you ask me anything in my name, that's a third class condition, if. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, you got a choice. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's a promise from the sovereign God of the universe to you. Now, what do we count on to make our prayer lives meaningful? All right, we're going through that, so let's switch it out. Give me one second while we switch the mic. Check, check, check. You got it? All right, back to the lesson. What do we count on to make our prayer lives meaningful? Well, the strategy of prayer, the single thing we do for distinctive advantage in prayer, is to schedule time for prayer daily. Get it on the calendar. Make it a commitment. Make it an appointment. You make appointments with people. Why can't you make an appointment with God? Schedule it. Get it on the calendar. And then keep the appointment for yourself. But you know what? Here's the thing. Prayer is vital, but it's not urgent. So what do we typically do? We let emails take over. We let the the things that scream at us take over. We let laziness, lethargy take over, rather than going and meeting God in an appointment. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Or in other words, make it a habit to pray. Make it a repetitive habit to pray. The imperative mood of this verse in Greek makes this a command from God. And the middle voice in Greek indicates that prayer is something you do actively and you accrue a personal benefit passively from God. That's the middle voice. It's got active and passive mixed into one. We don't have anything like that in English. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore, because we have such an amazing high priest in Jesus, let us believers in Christ draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may fully expect to receive mercy. Mercy being getting something we don't deserve. And grace, I'm sorry, not mercy being God giving, not giving us what we deserve which is our sin means we deserve the lake of fire. He has mercy, so he doesn't give us what we deserve. And then to find grace and help, to help in times of need, he gives us what we don't deserve. God always has both ends of the spectrum covered. The top, the bottom, all the the ends of the spectrum covered. He's amazing. 
Now, when we don't know what to say to God in prayer, we're lucky. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 reminds us, God the Holy Spirit helps our weakness when we pray. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but God the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That is a message to all of you people who have spent your whole life talking about how inarticulate you are and how you just don't know how to put it into words, practicing incompetence at that. Because nobody comes here competent at saying stuff. It's all learned. But even if you are not a learner that way, what does God do? God the Holy Spirit groans for you and groanings too deep for words. He puts into words what you can't. So there's no excuse not to pray. And if the Holy Spirit's power were not enough, which it is because he is deity, 100% God, just like God the Son and God the Father, the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, intervenes for us during prayer as well. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. The first thing we would want is not to sin. And if anyone sins, and of course we do, first class condition if, if and it's true, and if anyone sins, and of course we do, we have an advocate with God the Father, an advocatus in Latin, a paraclete in Greek, parakletos, someone who comes powerfully to our assistance when we're too weak to do anything for ourselves. Who? Who comes to our assistance with God the Father? Jesus Christ, the only righteous one. 1 John 2, 2. And Jesus Christ himself is the propitiation for our sins, the only perfectly satisfactory payment for our sins. In the eyes of God the Father, and not for our sins only as believers in Christ, but also for the sins of the whole world, for unbelievers as well. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, take your prayers and make them meaningful. Now, what are some of the things we can pray for? Several things. The tactics of prayer, the specifics of the building of a prayer life. We can pray about God's plan. And God has a plan for mankind, and he has a personal prayer for you. We can pray that God illuminates his plan for mankind and his plan for us so that we can see it with our spiritual eyes, and he is more than willing to do that. Psalm 86, verse 11 says this, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. You can pray to God for protection. We can pray that God shields us from our enemies because he always does. Psalm 23, verse 5, You prepare a table before me, Lord, in the presence of my enemies. And you have anointed my head with oil. My cup of blessing overflows. I always laugh at my enemies because they get to see all the successes over and over and over and over and over again. And they go, how does that guy do that? See, the funny thing is, the believers in Christ who mistreat me, I never wonder why they prosper. I never wonder because I know that there's absolutely no chance that God's going to give them what they deserve. So I never, I never expected. You know what? That whole thought, when you learn what God's mercy is and what God's grace is, he takes all of that desire out of your heart to have people get what they deserve. 
I don't want anybody who is my enemy to get what they deserve. But I also know that they're not going to, especially if they're a believer in Christ. They're not going to get what they deserve because God doesn't work that way. Do you think Satan is getting what he deserves? He deserves nothing. He doesn't deserve one second of consideration for his betrayal. And yet God considers him to be just as important as you because God is not a God of partiality. That's the God we worship. It's absolutely amazing. So I don't, my enemies, I I can just pray for them. I can just say, hey, I hope God gives you so much that it just overwhelms you. I hope he gives you a tsunami of blessings. And you know why I can say that? Because I know they don't know how to handle it. We can pray for God to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see those who are not on our side. Psalm 31, verse 4. That's missing. Is that missing? Yeah, it's missing. Okay, here's what it says. You will pull me out of the net which my enemies have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. You will pull me out of the net which my enemies have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. They think you, they can get you, and they can. You can pray for God's provision. Oh, there it is. It's hiding, <laughs> it was hiding behind the other verse. All right, you can pray for God's provision. We can pray for God to carry our burdens and to cover our needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That whole passage is worth reading. And then one of the things that I would love for you to do as Christians is when you see, have these notes and you see these verses, I would like you to do what I do, which is to go read the passage that the verses came from and it will illuminate it even more. And especially this, Matthew six twenty-five to 34, talks about how God values you as a believer. But here's what he says. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Become a believer in Christ. That's the rewards of salvation. His kingdom and his righteousness. He moves you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he gives you absolute righteousness as your admission ticket to heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. Food, shelter, clothing, the meaningless things of life will be added to you. Pray for God's presence. We can pray that we notice God's omnipresence in our lives, that he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our cave that we can go hide in. He is the cleft in the rock. Pray for God's promises. There are 7,000 of them in the Bible. We can pray that we remember them when we're under pressure. Promises like John chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, and he's speaking specifically the day to his apostles about the day of his ascension into heaven. You apostles will not be able to question me about anything. So truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father for in my name, he will give it to you. He said, I'm not the only one that wants you to be successful. The Father wants you to be successful. The Holy Spirit wants you to be successful. You can ask any of us. We'll do it. Promises like Matthew, chapter 21, verse 22, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The lady told me uh, that we were having dinner with 
dinner, not dinner with, it became with because I just kind of barged into their lives, right? Yeah. Oh, you don't mind if we talk. Hey, what's that on your plate? I like doing that when I go to restaurants. But she said, you've got more faith than me. No, I don't. God's not a God of partiality. I don't have more faith than her. She's got the same amount of faith that I do. She just doesn't believe it. Because most Christians especially want to maintain a positive attitude by the assumption of a negative result. That way you won't be disappointed. When you put your ass on the line, you always risk being disappointed. And when you get disappointed, what you ought to check is your expectations. Because you have no right to expect anything from anybody. And especially not without their agreement. I set appointments with people all the time and they don't come. (laughs) But I don't expect them to come. So when they don't come, it's like, what does it mean? It doesn't mean, oh, they don't like me. Oh, they hate me. It means they didn't come. Call them and set it up again. Why do I do that? Because I don't, I don't need the extra crap going on in my head. I don't need it. And I used to do that all the time when I was prospecting in sales. If they didn't call me back, oh my God, they don't want to talk to me. And then you, you finally get through to them and find out their mom died. <laughs> They've been out of work for two weeks. It wasn't about you. Whole different game. So we all have the same amount of faith. It's just you believe God when he says he's going to do it. Most of us don't. You know, I don't know why God created Christianity knowing what Christians would do with it. That's why there's so many fail-safes in Christianity. Once you're saved, you're saved forever. Why? Because he knows you'd screw it up. If you could unhook it, you would. Everything he does... He gives you this gift of prayer, and then what does he do? He backs it up with the Holy Spirit in himself. So you can't screw it up. Because he knows that's what you want to do. Isn't it funny how we are as people? Isn't it funny how we build stuff up? We spend all this time building and edifying something, and then we rip it down. Isn't that funny how that happens? Not funny ha-ha, funny peculiar. And then we're shocked when it falls apart. It's like, how did that happen? Yeah, I think you know. Colossians chapter 2. Next, pray for God's power. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Says that, now I got Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, but I got two other verses. So ignore what I just said, because I, I replaced this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this. I, Paul, pray. Here's one of Paul's prayers on the other side of the cross. I, Paul, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may have true spiritual insight from biblical thought, so that you will know what is the hope, the absolute confidence of God the Father's calling you to salvation, the victory through Christ, so that you may know what are the glorious riches of God the Father's inheritance that has been given to the saints, 
and that you may know, Ephesians 1.19, what is the incomparable greatness of his divine power. Why would you ever use your power in a situation when you could use God's? Why would you ever think of doing it? This incomparable greatness of his divine power directed toward us who believe. Pray for pressure. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you're going to do that, right? Two things required for growth, pressure and feedback. You want to you wanna think about those times in your life when you think your life is so great? It's not. The most dangerous time in your life is when you have no pressure and no feedback. How often do you ask for God to put pressure on you? Growth only occurs with pressure and with feedback. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 say this. We believers in Christ not only exult in all these things that God has given us as gifts, like righteousness and justification and peace, he has nothing against us in our future glory, but we also exult in our tribulations, the pressure that we're given, that are given to us by God the Father, knowing the tribulation brings about perseverance. You learn how to hang in there when you keep getting pounded. Romans 5, 4, and perseverance brings about proven character. And if you get pounded enough, you just know how to take it. And then proven character brings about hope. And what's that? When you have character, you have absolute confidence in God. That's what the lady was talking about. You have more faith. No, I don't have more faith. I have confidence in a God who I've seen come through over and over and over again. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint because the unconditional love of God the Father has been poured out within our hearts through God the Holy Spirit who was given to us by God the Father as a pledge of our inheritance. What's that called? The pledge of our inheritance. It's called the sealing ministry of God the Holy Spirit. At the moment of your salvation, he signed a guarantee that you were saved once and for all time. Why? Because he knew that if he didn't, you'd screw it up. We even have a right to ask God in prayer for his help in keeping his commands, because we don't. Please take a five-minute break, and when we return, we'll take the offering, and we'll have some closing thoughts about prayer. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. My life, I've been told I belong At the end of the line Will all the other not quite Will all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight. 
You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history As another blood bought Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. So let me go down, down, down in history. As another blood bought, faithful member of the family. That's all I ever wanna be. And if they all forget my name, well that's fine with me. Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Welcome back. Tonight's Bible lesson, prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. Prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. When you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for us to give the gift of the gospel message and the gift of the word of God verse by verse. 
to people all over the world through the magic of the internet. Now, maybe you take that for granted because you hear that all the time coming from me. There's a lady in Belgium that doesn't take that for granted, and I bet you she's a little bummed that the lesson wasn't this morning so that she could hear it on her regular routine because now it's 7 o'clock at night over here and it's morning over in Belgium and she's at work and probably can't listen right now. But you may take this for granted, but she certainly doesn't because this is a, a very important part of her spiritual life. So thank you for supporting this ministry with your generosity. It's an intimate thing to do. Your unselfish giving is a reflection of our God, and it gives people around the world a chance to respond to a life-giving message. Life-giving as in the resurrection life, and life-giving as in edifying spiritual lives for Christ, so that we can pass along the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning, or good evening. So I used to come in here during the day. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor, a real man, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And each last week, pastor said, we're full of it. I really liked it, because it's just a good play on words. But I was thinking, you know, do we ever let it spill out of us? Do we ever show anybody else about it? And I was looking back at my life and kind of judging my life, thinking back when I was a teen, when I was in high school football, you know, as a teammate, <clears throat> how was I? Did I help them? Was I supportive of the, of the mission? Was it something that I was always willing to put first? You know, we had on Friday nights, we had our games, and Saturday we always had a mandatory practice the next morning. And there were some people that were always late, and there were some people that were always early. And I was lucky because I, I didn't have a car. I had a friend, and I was always early because he was early. <laughs> so it looked like I was a really good teammate. <laughs> but it was really his fault. I didn't want to be there. But there were some guys that were late, and there were a lot of leaders on the team. And they would kind of drag down that practice because they were late. And they would become a stumbling block for others, really. You know, and then I look back to my college career with my roommates. I had a couple different roommates, a lot of different roommates. But one of them, he would come home from studying all day and being in class and he would he would go for a jog and then he would make noodles with just tomato sauce and then he would go study for about three hours that guy's a lawyer today had another friend he'd be playing video games all the time you know and one of those guys you know if I look back and judge them one of them was really he was a, a leader and he's a lawyer now actually so he really made it happen and another friend I don't know what he's doing I don't think he's even working the guy that played video games and I'm caught in the middle of it, so what do I do, you know? And I look back at those times. Did I ever step up and, you know, let my, my full of it, my grace, faith, and hope, and love for Jesus come out? Now and again, but not nearly enough. You know, and now I look as I'm a parent, I'm a father. What's my influence on my kids? Am I helping them to go towards Christ or away from Christ? How do they, they watch us all the time. Like Pastor said, he's watching us. Well, so are our kids. They're watching us real tight. They know what we're doing. They know how we act. We, they know when we're angry. We show emotion. And it's real easy to kind of push away from God and, and be angry with the situation rather than say, hey, let's get closer to God. Let's pray right now. And 
I think like a lot of times we judge situations and we judge others and forget that we're the stumbling block and we're not giving them the gospel when we should. And I saw, <clears throat> look in the Bible and you see Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not keep on judging and condemning one another. Rather, let's determine this. Not to put on, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block, something another trips over in a brother's way. And I was thinking, you know, are these chairs really empty or are we blocking them from being full? You know, it's a lot of times you think of, oh, the stumbling block, it's the crazy person that's mean and obviously angry. But a lot of times it's like the pastor said, Satan uses the best of us, the best Christians, to make stumbling blocks for others. We get in the way. We think, ah, oh, I can't offend that person. I have a neighbor, he's Mormon, and I always want to tell him, you're not even studying Jesus Christ. But I'm scared because he's, he's Mormon, big family, and it just, it'd be like real polarizing for us now. We see each other every day, and I don't know how we treat it, but why does it matter? That's like being in high school again and worrying about somebody else's opinion of you and what you're wearing, letting them judge you, condemn you for something. It's just useless. This is a short time we have here on, you know, in our human body before we're taken away, and so let's make the most of it. And let's not be stumbling blocks. Let's not judge ourselves and condemn ourselves before we even have a chance. Let's not say, hey, I can't say the words. I can't say it right. And I don't know everybody's um, skeletons in their closet like pastors, so I have to use mine, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I know we all have them, and I know we all worry about stuff like that, or we condemn ourselves before we even go through something. And the pastor's truly right, you know, the pressure that you have is going to help you grow every, every time, without a doubt. And so let's, let's all for, pray for pressure for this church so we can grow and have that $3 million, you know? And so let's not be stumbling blocks and give it the offering. And give to God first our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so I appreciate everybody that's here and everybody that helped with the conference. I'm glad. I'm, I'm sad I couldn't make it. I'm glad everybody's back and safe. And I just hope that we uh, continue to be united behind Christ and behind the message from Pastor Rory Clark. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Have you been praying? still have no answers have you been pouring out your heart for so many years have you been hoping that things would have changed by now have you cried all the faith you have through so many It's like the bright sunrise waiting on the
Yeah, that's one of those songs where, is, am I on? Yeah. That's one of those songs you don't want to stop it. It's so good. Maybe you just haven't seen it yet. Tonight's Bible lesson, prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. Prayer is mandatory for an intimate relationship with the Lord. So, you know, a lot of times you don't, you guys don't get to see what goes on in the background, but Deacon Denny gave me some cheese. He said it would go real well with my wine. He thinks I'm, I'm whining today, so I really appreciate that. I love feedback. You can't grow without pressure and feedback, and I just really appreciate that. So how does the enemy of God affect your prayer life? The enemy of God distorts your prayer life just like he perverts everything in your life. And here are a few of the things that the Bible makes evident. Satan encourages vain repetition. And I've told you countless times that I was a Roman Catholic. So, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The rosary. Ten of the Hail Marys, one of the Our Father. Fifty times around the, the, the rosary. And what does that do? Is that, is that how we talk to each other every day? It's not how we talk to each other every day. And that's certainly not the way to talk to God. But that's... Vain repetition. And when I would see that, that we're doing this in Roman Catholicism, and the Bible says don't do vain repetition, you know, I, I don't understand. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, Gentiles being unbelievers in this case, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Okay. So that tells me that as a Roman Catholic, the Bible is saying do something exactly opposite of the thing that I do in every service. Every Mass is vain repetition. It's the same stuff. And you know what's so funny about Roman Catholics? The part of the Mass that they hate the most is the homily. And that's the five minutes where the pastor is actually giving a message. They hate that part. They absolutely love the vain repetition part. What is wrong with them? Satan encourages, vain repetition is just that, vain, which means meaningless. So don't do it, because that is not interacting with God. We don't interact with people that way. We don't go to them and just keep saying the same things over and over and over to them. Well, some people do, but anyway. Satan encourages self-aggrandizement. What is that? Puffing yourself up. Arrogance. Puffing your chest out. Talking about how wonderful you are in comparison to everybody else. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14 say this. Jesus told a parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's what people do when they think they're better than somebody else or that their works are more impressive to God than somebody else. They trust in themselves that they are righteous. Our righteousness comes from God. Our righteousness doesn't come from us. Who viewed others with contempt. Luke 18.10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, 
a guy who had been studying the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, for 20 years minimum, and the other a tax collector, the lowest of the low, the three rungs below a prostitute. Nobody liked the tax collector. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector. Luke 18, 12, I fast twice a week. I, I, I'm into asceticism. I pay tithes of all I get. I'm into legalism. I follow the rules. Luke 18, 13, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And a sinner is an unbeliever. God, please don't give me what I deserve. That's asking for mercy. Luke 18, 14. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you, this tax collector went to his house justified as a new believer in Christ, and the Pharisee did not. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Satan encourages meaningless procedures like the in-fellowship, out-of-fellowship lie. The arrogance of thinking that you as a human being control your fellowship with God. Of course, this is my systematic theology background. A lot of really smart people, really dumb about God. We can't put ourselves into fellowship with God, and we can't do anything to get ourselves out of fellowship with God once we're in fellowship with Him. Well, if you're out of fellowship with God, you're an unbeliever. So those people who believe in this meaningless, repetition, vain thing called rebound... Well, you're a Christian, you're saved, but when you sin, you're out of fellowship with God, and when you confess your sin, you're back in fellowship with God. That is completely meaningless activity. Because if you're out of fellowship with God, it means you don't have a relationship with God, which means that you're an unbeliever. If you're out of fellowship with God, and you think you can do something to get yourself in God's good graces, that's the very thing that all of us hate as Christians. We knew we couldn't save ourselves. Why would we think that we can somehow get ourselves in and out of fellowship with God? It's just nonsense. It's absolutely stupid because to believe it, you have to believe that God is conditional in his love for us. He is not. And they say stuff like, God turns his back on us when we sin then why did he go to the cross? What was the purpose of that? Oh, if you aren't in fellowship with God, your prayers don't get above the ceiling. Then how does an unbeliever ever get saved? Because an unbeliever is not in fellowship with God when he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How does he get saved? This This stuff is just lunacy. Yet they believe it. And, and we have friends who are like that, and we don't want to say anything to them, do we? We don't want to say anything to them because we don't want to offend them. What they're saying is offensive to us. They're saying our God is conditional. That's offensive. That's a direct attack against the character and nature of the person we say we love, and we don't even defend him by telling them they're out of their mind. 
I can't tell you how many people I've known in systematic theology who think I'm off the rails. I'm on the rail. Believe it, they're off the rail. They're off their rocker if they think that they have the power to lose fellowship with an amazing God like the one we have. It's just crazy. And then they think they're smart. And in their smartness, they're just dumb. There is not a single piece of evidence that supports the thought that believers in Christ, who are saints, not sinners, can be unrighteous. Yet they, from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness at the moment of salvation. He imputed his righteousness to us so we are no longer unrighteous and we can't be. Why can't they see that? I'll tell you why they can't see it. Because seeing, they don't want to see. And they're critical of the Jews for rejecting the Messiah. They're rejecting the same Messiah. There is ample evidence, though, that God has made believers in Christ righteous. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, which says this, God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with him. My hope is that if you are a Christian, you'll use the information in this lesson to evaluate the quality of your prayer life. If, as you look at your prayer life through God's eyes, you find it lacking, do something about it. Write your prayers down. Get a prayer book. Read things about prayer. Learn how to pray. Learn what to pray for and you won't regret it. And this lesson and the lesson that we had last year at the Coeur d'Alene Conference were both on prayers. Go back and review them. It's worth it. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are dedicated to anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants is for you to make the most important decision of your life. God gave you an amazing ability from the moment of birth. He gave you volition, the ability to choose. You can make your own decisions. You have the power of free will. You have the power of choice. What do you choose to believe about God? Many people have beliefs about God. According to the world, a belief is an opinion or a conviction or a confidence in the existence of something that does not seem provable. Yet everything with God is provable. There's no need for blind faith with God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And if he didn't, what kind of God would he be? I'll tell you what kind of God he would be. He would be a God who was not worthy of being worshipped. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made in the, enti in the entire created universe. There's so many beautiful places in the world where when you see them, you know that man couldn't have created them. So that all mankind, especially unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness as a lifestyle, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Satan 
The enemy of God prefers that we have beliefs because he knows there's a difference between beliefs and truth. Only when your beliefs and the truth are the same are your beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. Why? Because he can't handle the truth. Do you choose to believe Satan or do you choose to believe God? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, what many people believe is that they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of their good deeds and religious practices. So they give money to beggars, they give food to the homeless, they are actively involved in community projects, they generously donate their time, talent, and treasure to charitable organizations. They give back. And you've heard the term give back used constant countless times. People who give back usually are convinced that they are good people, impressive to God because they give back. And many think they are so good that after they die, God will reward them by letting them into heaven for their good deeds. The Bible, which is the owner's manual for life, tells a completely different story. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, believers in Christ, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So being saved is not a result of your works, deeds you've done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. The Bible directs all mankind to let God do the saving. And one thing you would never want to do is take on the burden of salvation and put it on your own back. So if you can't get into heaven from doing good deeds, what's the truth about how to get God to let you into heaven? The one way to get into heaven, the only way to get into heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God and the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The Apostle Paul describes this amazing Messiah, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, it's much more than a belief. It's the absolute truth. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, it's much more than a belief. It's the absolute truth. So how can you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, meaning that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, 
admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. It is wise to let God save you because once God does something, it can't be undone. And God never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Or the warning in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42. So just as weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his elect angels, his believing angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, all unbelievers, those who commit lawlessness, unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In that literal place, it will be horrible for all those who go there. Do you want to make the most important choice of your life? Have a great eternity by doing what's suggested in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus, the Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Take the free gift of eternal life right this moment. There's no time to waste. God wants you. Why bother working for your salvation when, with your good deeds, when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work on the cross. Give back to you. Make the right choice. We close with a song. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says this, there is no creature who understands God or any divine thing. There is no creature who seeks out a relationship with God. Ruh-roh. How are we supposed to have a relationship with God if we're not seeking one? Well, June Murphy explains in her song, You Ran After Me.
Thanks a lot, June. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for teaching us about prayer and thank you for giving us that gift that we can use to interact with you. Encourage us to step up to the life that you planned for us. Encourage us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Encourage us to understand what the weapons are of this warfare and to use those weapons that are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against you and your son and orienting our lives to obedience to you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.